Good morning, church. Scott Foster, a 36-year-old accountant, had not played a hockey game in over a decade. But because of his background as a goalie for Western Michigan University, he had been designated an emergency goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks. That's an honor that usually just results in free food in the press box. At a game in 2018, the goalie Anton Forsberg was injured. And then in the third period, the rookie substitute goalie, Colin Delia, was also injured. Foster, who was sitting in the stands, was told, put your helmet on. Well, Foster went on to stop all seven shots that were attempted. He earned the team belt, an honor reserved for the game's best player. And he set the media ablaze with tweets and posts from fans and analysts who could not believe he had never played a professional game. Imagine being tapped on the shoulder for a life-changing assignment, one for which you're not prepared. A few weeks ago in Mark's lesson from Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, we read that a great multitude when they had heard how many things he was doing, came to him. And today we will continue using the third chapter of Mark's Gospel and begin to read at verse 13. The Bible says, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him he those he himself wanted, and they came to him. And then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bornerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. In Luke's account of this event, he says simply in Luke sixteen thirteen, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Twelve men charged with the most awesome responsibility with which men could be charged. Luke's account and Matthew's account of this event give us a little bit more information as does Mark's gospel. In fact, if you notice here that Mark does not even refer to the twelve by the name apostle, yet later on in Mark's gospel he does refer to them by that name. It is Luke who calls these men apostles. Of them he chose twelve and he named them apostles. We remember the names of some of these people for their involvement that they had in establishing the Lord's church. We see them in scripture as being active in that way. And yet there are others of these names that are not all that familiar to us. We may have very little reliable information about some of them. And I recognize there are many traditions that have grown up around the names of some of these men. And we need to be careful when hearing of traditions. 
because that is just what they are, traditions, with no credible historical information and certainly no scriptural information to support them. What I would like to do today is for us to briefly consider what I would call a landmark event in the earthly ministry of Jesus. There are some events that were so very significant to Jesus' purpose and what he was going to do. So significant, they can only be viewed as landmarks. And this is certainly one of those. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke at verse 12. And I want to notice something here that is so telling and so like Jesus. Just prior to the call of these 12 people, in verse 12 of Luke chapter 6, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Notice that prior to this landmark event of appointing the apostles, Jesus is found apart from everyone else in a night of prayer. Before this very important event, we find Jesus in prayer, and immediately upon the coming of the day, he calls to him his disciples, and he chooses of them twelve. There must have been more than twelve disciples for him to choose twelve, and the twelve he calls, or names, apostles. It is typical of Jesus that before significant occasions, we find him in prayer. And of course, the most significant of those times is the night before he is crucified. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he is praying alone. Praying alone is also typical of Jesus. And I mention this because I want us to draw a lesson from it. The lesson is in this question. Should we not, you and I, more actively follow the example of Jesus in the matter of significant events or occasions in our lives. Is it not true of many of us that we rush into decisions and into significant events without sessions of prayer? Perhaps we've become such a do-it-yourself society that even in these matters, that's exactly what we tend to do. We do it ourselves. And we think that's what we're supposed to do. I fear because we say I am independent and I do not need help. I'm going to do this myself without accessing the incredible resource of prayer. We rush headlong into events, whatever they may be, with only our human wisdom to be used. Here's the Son of God. He is about to choose the 12 men with whom he is going to entrust the proclamation of the gospel, the establishment of his church. This is the Son of God. And I wonder, should he have needed to pray? He is Jesus. He is the Christ. And then I realized just how beautifully and how well He teaches us with the illustration of his life. And this is one of those illustrations. It is my belief that we need to use this example in our own lives more often. I know I do. 
Well, he chooses the 12, and what would be their purpose? Consider just for a moment the words apostle and disciple. If you look at Luke's narrative, the sixth chapter, you read at verse 13, and when it was day, he called his disciples to him, and from them, that is the disciples, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Think of the word apostle and disciple. The first thing we can say is that apostle and disciple are not interchangeable terms. The word disciple means a learner, a pupil, a follower. And for example, all of those from Acts, the second chapter, who were baptized into Jesus Christ, we call disciples. Remember in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts at verse 26, where the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The name disciple is not apostle. It is different from apostle. Apostle means ambassador, one who is chosen and sent on a specific mission, a commissioner of Christ having miraculous powers. We know that in our own country, we have ambassadors from various countries in the world. They come to Washington, D.C., and they present their credentials. Not just everyone can be an ambassador. That person must be chosen by the head of state, and he is entrusted with a specific mission, given particular credentials and sent. And that's exactly the nature of these 12 men. They had to meet certain qualifications. Now, if we look in the book of Acts at chapter 1, verses 21 and 25, we'll read about the manner of the apostles as they replaced Judas. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. They had to meet certain qualifications and the actual choosing was left to the Lord. Notice the qualifications beginning at the baptism of John. Now let me ask you, are any of us qualified? We may be righteous people, we may be good people, we may be knowledgeable people, but is any one of us qualified based on that one thing? Of course, there are in the religious world today those groups of people who have their apostles, as they call them, but folks based on the scriptural qualifications of these people They are not apostles like the 12. Wearing the name does not mean you are an apostle. If you do not have the credentials, you are not an apostle as they were. The qualifications were given and these 12 men were endowed with miraculous powers. In the 16th chapter of Mark's gospel at verse 20, here is what we read. They went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. 
Not only were they endowed with miraculous powers, but here's something else that was significant about these apostles. It was they and they alone who could impart miraculous gifts to others. I would like you to look in your Bibles at the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, and we're going to read about some things that were happening in Samaria, beginning at verse 13. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. You will remember that Peter and John are apostles. We read their names a while ago. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they laid, that's Peter and John, the two apostles, when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. The apostles possessed the credentials, the appointment of the Lord, possessed miraculous power, and could pass those gifts to others. If we stop and think about that, we realize if that's the case, then with the death of the last apostle, this particular power of passing on spiritual gifts ceased. Are there miracles today? Well, there certainly are unusual things that happen. People often call them miracles, but they're not miracles in the sense of the New Testament use of the word. There is providence today, but not miracles in that New Testament sense. That phenomenon ceased very naturally with the death of the last person on which the apostles laid their hands. There are 12 of them, we're told. Of them, he chose 12. In Scripture, numbers are very significant. Numbers are not all that significant to us, except maybe as they relate to our bank accounts or relate to something that we would like to buy. Then numbers can be very important. But in the days of the New Testament, ancient times, numbers were significant because they were part of communication. Numbers were used symbolically to represent certain things. It has been said that on the average, one of every five verses in Scripture contains a number. Numbers were part of the communication. Well, the number 12 is often found in Scripture. And one of the things that it represents symbolically is wholeness or completeness or perfection. Something that would invariably represent in the minds of the people then is the nation of Israel. There were 12 tribes. Let's stop and think about that a little bit. 12 tribes, Israel. 12 apostles. What could be the significance of that? Is there any significance? Now, I'm not going to tell you that I know for certain that there is, but I'd like to suggest the church is the Israel of God, the spiritual Israel. If you look in your Bibles at the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, verse 16, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The writer is referring to the church as the Israel of God. In Galatians 3 and 7, it says, Therefore, know that only those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. And next, at verse 29, And if you are Christ's, 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Something else to note, as Mark gives us his recollection of this event by inspiration, he says of the apostles that they should be with him, that is with Jesus. One of the interesting thing about things about rabbis of that time is that many of them were itinerant or traveling teachers. And as they traveled, they would have a small entourage of people with them, disciples who were learning and watching. And these disciples themselves might one day become rabbis, I would assume. In this case, it is Jesus and the Twelve. They would be with him, and during this period of time, the Twelve Apostles would hear Jesus teaching many things concerning the kingdom of God. This choosing of the Twelve marks a very definite ending of one period and the beginning of another in the lives of these men. It is time now for them to learn things concerning the kingdom. And in your Bibles, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, there's something that is said that I think is significant for us. In John 14, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. We remember that Mark said the apostles would be with Jesus. Here Jesus is referring to the many, many things that he had spoken to them while he was yet with them. Now look at the next verse. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. There's a second thing happening as well. Not only were they hearing things concerning the kingdom, of which the Holy Spirit would remind them at the appropriate time, but they were also seeing Jesus as he interacted with people from all walks of life. How did Jesus deal with real-life situations? They were, in effect, learning what would Jesus do. What they would learn would stand them in good stead in the years to come. If the future of the Lord's church was going to be entrusted to these men, they would have to be well-schooled in Christ. Next, look at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Here, Jesus is ready to ascend. The last written words we have of his while he is on this earth are these. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 20 is where we find why it was so important that they be schooled. And the reason why it was so important that the Holy Spirit remind them of the things they had been taught. Teaching them, it says, those people whom they are baptizing, people who have become disciples of the Lord, Christians, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. They needed to know these things because he would send them forth to preach. I'm going back to the Gospel of Matthew, the 10th chapter, and let's read together verses 5 through 7. Matthew, 10th chapter, verses 5 through 7, 
This is just after their selection. And what we're going to discover is the preaching that they were going to do at this part of time was of a limited nature. It was limited as to the people to whom they would go. Here we read that these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. At this point, their preaching was limited to the house of Israel. Jesus then goes on in verse seven, and as you go preaching, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Their message was to proclaim the imminence of the kingdom of heaven. Scripture continues in verses eight and nine, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts. They are to go to the house of Israel, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You go preaching and here is the message. They were not yet to go to the Gentiles. That would come in time. In this part of the ministry of Jesus, they were to go only to the Israelites. Their message was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were to go preaching of the imminent coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom would soon be set up. Mark 9 and 1 reveals that Christ promised it would be done in the lives of some of these men. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. I imagine an image of the ripples on a quiet pond, which come when a stone is dropped in and then spread out. And that is what we have here, folks. That is the message of the kingdom spreading out. You go, you preach, you teach. He sends ambassadors with credentials, his apostles, to accomplish the preaching and the teaching of the coming of the kingdom. One more thing Mark tells us, Jesus gives them power. In Matthew 10 and 8, we are told that they were given power to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. In fact, they are endowed with these miraculous powers, and that would be in the minds of the people, and in those minds, they would then be associated with Jesus, because these were the very kinds of things that were being done by Jesus himself. Something else else that Matthew tells us, as we continue in verse 8 of chapter 10, Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. Notice the thing that immediately precedes these words. And as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely ye have received, freely give. The knowledge and the ability you have received, you are to freely give. This would have been readily understood. A rabbi was bound by law to give his teaching freely, asking for nothing. 
The rabbi was absolutely forbidden to take money for teaching the law of Moses, which Moses had received freely from God. Jesus extends this to the apostles that he is sending out. They were not to charge for their services, teaching, healing, cleansing, raising the dead, and casting out demons. Can you imagine the amount of money that they would have raised among themselves with these incredible powers? He goes on to say, don't provide gold or silver or copper in your purses, nor script for your journey. You have received this power freely. You have received the message freely. Therefore, freely give it to others. Neither the message nor the powers with which they have been endowed were their personal property or domain. I would like you to turn with reference to these powers to something we read not too long ago in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and which was confirmed to us by those who heard him, and notice this, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. No, these miraculous gifts were not their own personal property. These miraculous gifts and powers had a very specific purpose, and that was to confirm the message as a message come from God himself. What then is the purpose of the apostles? Well, Ultimately, it was to be witnesses to the risen Christ. Turning in Acts chapter 1 to verse 8, Jesus says to the apostles, and by the way, if you follow the pronouns all the way back through this part of the chapter, you will get to the apostles. In Acts 1 and 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What was their purpose? To be witnesses of the resurrection of the risen Christ. Notice at verse 22 of this chapter, the selection of the person who would replace Judas as they give the qualifications necessary, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The us refers to the 12, the apostles. And then in Acts 2 and 32, this Jesus, God is raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Again, if you follow the pronouns of the passages, you come back to the 12, the apostles. One of the things that we hear often today is the word witness. I'm going to witness to this person or witness to that person, we need to be very careful in our use of the word witness. Today, that word witness is used in a way not found in the New Testament. I cannot witness to what I have not seen. I just can't do it. What I can do is tell people with my mouth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell of the action of the gospel in my life, I can teach, but I cannot witness to people as if I had seen the resurrection. 
I am not a witness of the risen Christ. I did not see him. I can recount the testimony of scripture, but that's a whole different thing from witnessing. The apostles were witnesses, not me. In that respect, we are not witnesses, we are teachers. What were their names? Most of their names are familiar to us. We remember Peter, his brother Andrew, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Bartholomew, Matthew, certainly Thomas, we heard about him recently, and Judas Iscariot. We remember those names, they are familiar. A few apostles might not be familiar to us, such as Philip, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas sometimes called Thaddeus. What I want us to understand is it is not as important to be able to list the names as it is for us to realize that the 12 came from different backgrounds. If we look at the 12, we see these in these men nothing that from an earthly point of view gives them any stature. They have little, if any, formal education. They have no position. They have no wealth. They are ordinary people, common men. Yes, they were industrious, keen of mind, sensitive of soul, honest, perceptive, courageous. They were 12 very common men leading common lives with common backgrounds, and they heralded the establishment of the Lord's church and constituted it on the earth. One final reminder to which I would like to call your attention in Jude, verse 17. Jude 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge Remember the words of the apostles. I know verse 18 goes on to give a specific illustration of the kind of thing to which Jude is referring. They were told that there would be mockers in the last times, those who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. The apostles warned that that would happen. I want to come back to verse 17 with this. Remembering the words of the apostles should be broadly viewed. Do you remember Acts chapter 2, verse 42? The disciples, those people who had been baptized into Christ, later called Christians, how were the disciples to continue? Verse 42. And they, the disciples, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There is so much more we could say today. But one last thing I would like us to remember, the role of apostle as it is epitomized, exemplified by the 12, remembering of course that the apostle Paul was chosen as one out of due time. The role of the apostles was a one-time role in the Lord's church during its beginning days, its infancy. Now we have the word of the covenant, which is God's instrument in conversion, in sanctification, and in the constituting of the church. Having the word of the covenant tells me that the apostles did their work very well. Where he leads me, I will follow. I was thinking that that song is appropriate for today's thoughts. Where the Lord leads me, I'm going to follow him. 
He went through his life serving others. Where he leads me, I will follow. He is going to lead in a life of service. He went through life making sacrifices as he served. Where he leads me, I am willing to go and make sacrifices. The place where we need to go first, folks, is with Jesus into his death. And the way we do that, the way we go to his death, is to go with Jesus into baptism. We are buried as he was buried, and we are raised as he was raised to walk in newness of life. Romans 6. Where he leads me, I will follow. Will you follow him through his death and be raised as he was raised in newness of life today? And while we're singing this song, would you think about it? I want us to realize that the disciples today are not folks that are distant from Christ. They are those people who have been baptized into his body. I want you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and so does he. You can only do that if you follow him into his death and then ultimately into his resurrection. If you need to be buried with Christ in baptism today, why don't you make that decision? If there's any way we can be of service to you, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.